Welcome to the Devil Unfiltered podcast. We are your hosts, our Mary, Dr. Nafi, and Anna Faye Badnar. We are here to engage, educate, and empower you. Today's episode is a welcome back to the Devil Unfiltered podcast. This is our third season, and we are super excited. We have a season packed with amazing topics that we will discuss. And today, we're just going to do a check-in with the ladies. Our Mary and Dr. Nafi, we had a break. And during our break, each one of us got a chance to go back home to the Gambia. So today, we will discuss what our trips were about, why we were there, and also the amazing fun we had doing our Debo Unfiltered podcast photo shoot. And we will be sharing these pictures throughout the season. So I'm going to start with you, Dr. Nafi. How was it being back home in Gambia? Oh, my God. So you all know, you know, home is where the you know, heart is. So for me, every time I go to Gambia, you guys, I just, it transports me back to like my childhood, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, the place, you know, people are familiar, the foods are familiar, you know, culturally. So it's always amazing having to go back for sure, for sure. So I had a really good time when I went, although the past um, few times that I've been going, it's mostly work more than pleasure, you know, um, having to do a medical trip, medical missions to Gambia. So I'm usually running around and, and, and having to like coordinate things. So um, that, that does get a little bit stressful, but overall, oh my gosh. I mean, and I'll, I'll get into it a little bit about um, some of the things that I, I had to do when, um, right before I go. So like, for example, when I decide we should do a, you know, a medical trip, you know, we come up with a date. The first thing I normally would do would, would be to recruit friends and coworkers as, as um, volunteers to do the mission. And so once I get that, um, I then start collecting, you know, medical supplies enough to give out for like six months supplies of antihypertensives, diabetic medications to a lot of the vulnerable populations. So that also is, is, is quite, um, you know, labor intense to do that. And then planning on the ground um, with uh, the Ministry of Health or just just local organizations to kind of help us with local resources that we would need, uh, clinics and stuff like that. So it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, intense, but overall I had the best time because girl, once you have those long long hours, you come back home. You know, eating some afro takes all the pain away, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <to> the Afro. <laughs> oh yes, yes. So that that that's what I would say. Definitely, it was great. It was a, it was a great great time for sure. How about you, Awa? Um. Well, I would say uh, for me too. You know, it's that feeling of being at home. Definitely, everything, all the memories as a as a young kid comes to you. But at the same time, you know, you're there for work. Mm-hmm. So I um, specifically went definitely for work and this time for the woman boss. Um, we had a project that we partnered with UNICEF mm-hmm. to um, pretty much empower, to just summarize, it's really to empower these young girls in schools in three different regions in the Gambia, Banjul area, West Coast region and um, KMC. And um, the project was to uh, implement um, leadership um, series as a leadership, our leadership curriculum, really to empower them in schools, to push it out in schools, and then also gender-based violence. So the challenges that these young girls face um, when they're trying to grow out into certain leadership positions, what is it that's holding them back? So we did that um, for over a thousand girls um, that we did over the course of three months. Um, but really the work really started in within the two month period that I was there, uh, the training. So it was a fun, uh, tearful, mm-hmm. um, frustrating, you name it, every kind of emotion, emoji, I felt like I felt it, um, the two months that I was there, I would say it was very hectic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the schedule was, was definitely hectic because we tried to do as much as we could um, before school was out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know how it is. Like certain schools have their stuff together, certain schools don't. 
um, you know, some of these stories that you hear from these young girls, they can just literally destroy your entire two month period that you're there. Um, some of these girls that are going to abuse, some of the girls that are just neglected at home. It's just a lot, you know, it can really weigh you down. Um, but like you said, you come home to Afra. I'm not a big Afra person. So I would say for me, it was really the mangoes and kava that I go mm-hmm. home to. So I always have to make sure that, um, you know, I have, you know, mango because it's mango season. So I felt like I went the best time. Mm-hmm. I've, I haven't had mango season in the Gambia for what, 26, mm-hmm. 27 years now. So being into it was so good so I'm always buying like hundred dollars mm-hmm. mangoes so it was it was definitely fun and then the kaba I didn't have to go to kaba girl to spend 150 or you know like I could get hundred dollars I had so much kaba at home it was just mm-hmm. amazing I had a really good time in terms of food in terms mm-hmm. of like um you know laughter with staff and just mm-hmm. um uh, and then a, a good girlfriend of mine came from the U.S. to, to visit, and so that was really definitely the highlight um, oh. of the of my time being there. So yeah, I had a good time. Let me hear from Anna. Well, um, my trip was all about my parents. So my mom is no longer married to my dad, but is now mm-hmm. married to a Gambian man. So mm-hmm. all the kids are out of Gambia, and my mom is from Tanzania, as you guys know. So. She doesn't really have any family in Gambia. So I felt like I need to go and just spend a month with her and make sure that this new husband is treating her right and is being (laughs) kind to her and that she's happy. Because, you know, it's one thing to hear from her every time. And when you talk on the phone, she's like, I'm good. Everything is great. I was like, "Mm -hmm. let me come and see that with my own two eyes. So and then my dad lives in Senegal. So I also took a trip to Senegal to make Mm -hmm. sure that my dad was okay. So this trip for me was very much about my parents. And I just, um, at that stage in my life, I'm about to be 40 and my parents are in their seventies and sixties. My dad in his seventies, my mom in her Mm sixties. So it's that time when like, we start looking after them. Like we Mm -hmm. start paying more attention to them and making sure that they are aging well and they have Mm -hmm. all their needs. So it was very family oriented kind of vacation. I took my Mm -hmm. computer. I was still working. But I was there with her. We got to spend a lot of time together. We got to bond. I got to hear a lot of stories about her life and gain wisdom from her and get Mm -hmm. advice. And Mm -hmm. it's six of us, you guys. So it's so nice Mm -hmm. to have my mom all to myself. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm also very fear. Fear is like, um, what's the word for fear? Jealous. Jealous. Like, yeah, yeah. So. You know, the new husband, you know, they're they're always together. You know, they do everything together. So Aww. while I was there, I was like, sir, can you go find something else to do? Can you Aww. go read a book? Like, I was like, I want her all to myself. <laughs> That's sweet. So, like, when they're cuddling and watching TV, I was that kid. Like, I am, like, I'll come and, like, sit right in between them. And you can tell he's looking at me like, girl. I'm like, mm-hmm, girl. it's mommy time. oh my god but we had an amazing time we did walks on the beach every morning because um my mom husband has this amazing house right on the water so we would go to the beach every morning for walks we got to experience having bonfires traveling together of course the food and y'all know I love to eat so I gained all the weight when I was there unapologetically I was like bring me all the super the plazas the chip the the like I wanted all of it the cherry especially cherry I think I had cherry like every night for dinner it was just my my food that's amazing and then I know our Mary you love cherry too Mm -hmm. um and then another thing that I also planned to do while I was in Gambia was um to have my sap candles I make these churai scented candles that I ship to Gambia and, and I was gonna I didn't get have, mine. I know I was gonna have this whole launch and then have them um sold at Kirgi, which is on uh, on um, Palmarima Road or next to Palmarima. And of course, every week the barrel hasn't arrived. Every week mm-hmm. by uh-huh. the time I left, I was told, Oh, it's here, but now it's gonna take us a couple of weeks to get it out of the port. Oh so we're also going to talk about the frustrations of right. Gambia, the yes. lack of systems. And mm-hmm. just the lack of 
basic necessities that we take mm-hmm. for granted in the West. Mm-hmm. And also like what we saw, like what we observed, what we, what we experienced and our thoughts about it. So Nafi, I'll start with you to tell us like, what kind of assistance did you get for your medical mission as, as far as the government helping you and the Gambian public helping you to just set up and make sure that you were able to roll this out easily? What are the challenges you face and what would you like to share? So I would say that, oh girl, don't get me started. Like I had to pull my hair when I was in Gambia. And um, it's not like it's, it's, it's a new thing, right? So my frustrations and all the, the things that didn't go right, it's similar to other Gambians who go to make change right? Um, So one would think in my case, one would think that, you know, if you're coming to donate your time, you buy your air ticket, and you're donating services and bringing medical Mm -hmm. supplies that are literally worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, that perhaps, you know, you will get some kind of assistance with just basic resources on the ground. That's me think that's my, 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 my thought process. And so that was not the case. And when I say like basic um, resources on the ground, so because I, I live in Ga- I live in America, right? So I am not based in Gambia where I know who to talk to, where to get X, where to get Y and Z, right? So I expect that when I'm coming, I coordinate with people on the ground to help make this, you know, things a little bit easier for us so that we have a, success, a successful uh, uh, mission trip. But uh, girl, basic things like, you know, custom customs letters, right? Because we're bringing usually, uh, th- this time when I went around um, three couple weeks ago, I brought a thousand pounds of medication that I got here and I'm shipping it back to, to Gambia. So when I get, when just shipping in general was a big headache because um, I heard about the delays that are happening with the containers. So I decided I didn't want to send the medications and supplies through that because it's going to cause me delay once I get there. I wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. access it. So the only other choice I had was to send everything by air cargo. And air cargo is a bit pricier, at least three, four times pricier than sending it with, um, with the container. So just with that, I said, you know what? I'm going to make this a community effort thing. Let me reach out and see if there's any Gambians that are shipping um, or doing air cargo that can maybe help me out because I'm doing a, a mission. Um, they might be able to, 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 to help do things, you know, on a discounted basis. All the Gambians that I was referred to for shipping were charging me ridiculous amount. I mean, $10 a pound to send a thousand pound uh, like stuff to Gambia, $10 a pound was what they were charging me. And I was so frustrated because I, not just frustrated, but I was so disappointed that this is our own people and I'm not going to sell this stuff. I am giving this stuff out for free. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this is free. And for you to try to get a dollar out of that, not even a dollar, like literally out of that when you should not be. And so I ended up, um, and then I later found out that, you know, other American companies were charging much, much less than that, like four or $5 per per pound. Why is a brother trying to charge me $10 a pound though? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so when I finally got a Gambian guy who did it, I got one quote from him so I shipped all my stuff to New York for the company to air, you know, to send it air cargo to Gambia. Once I sent all my stuff there, he then changed his price and doubled the price. Mm-hmm. On me. God. He doubled the price on me after my what? stuff. I had no way of having him ship back that thousand pounds of stuff back to me. And I was like, what the hell? So I had to just bite the bullet. And say, you told me, for example, it's going to be this much. And then why is it that once you got it, oh, yeah, based on, you know, unforeseen this and this and that, I'm sorry, we now have to charge you double the price because of this and this. And I was like, who does that? So I ended up paying it. But needless to say, I'm not going to say his name because I'm not going to give him 
you know, business or whatnot, but I'm never going to use him again, you know? And so once you get to Gambia, then you have to worry about, okay, I need to get that out of customs. Mm-hmm. Just basic custom letters from the Ministry of Health, you know, um, visa waivers for my volunteers that are coming. Some of them are American citizens. So just to help make it easier transition for them, because they all paid their own money to pay for a ticket to get to Gambia just mm-hmm. to give free services. So I was thinking the, the, you know, the least we could do is make it easier for them to not have to pay for a visa at the airport mm-hmm. and this kind of just basic things we can say thank you for taking your time instead of going to Mexico or Europe for your vacation, you're coming here to treat our people. And so just that I couldn't even get. It was mm. like pulling teeth. And if you know me, you know I am not the one to sit there and talk shit about 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 the, you know, lack of what's working, what's not working in the government. But let me tell you, this is getting ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I cannot I cannot seem to understand what it is that for, I, I, I literally, you know, Anna, I called you about this. And both yeah. of you guys, I was so frustrated when I was in Gambia that I told, I talked to you guys about this. We are best at frustrating and demoralizing those that are willing to do the noble work. That's what Absolutely. it is. Yeah. It is just so frustrating. Just writing a little letter. That's, that's going to make such a big, you know, deal. That's a big deal for me. It was like pulling teeth. Well, we can't do it now. Well, you should have asked before. I asked five weeks before I came to Gambia. I've been asking for this damn letter. And I did not receive it. I couldn't receive it. Like basic things like, okay, let's help you with maybe a car to go to the clinics and back with your staff. That was not, that was impossible. What bugs me is that it's hard for me to sometimes say this, but I feel like being a Gambian is almost like it, it gives us it's a because yep. I have seen other yep. people come. Europeans are coming, doing medical missions, the way they are received. It is Absolutely. like a night. I am getting mm-hmm. literally no cooperation from the government. And in particular, the Ministry of Health, because they are the ones that I engage when I come. Like, I cannot just show up with doctors. I, I, I try to make it as professional as possible. I email them ahead of time, weeks ahead of time, letting them know I am coming again and I'm bringing, you know, X, Y, and Z person. Here is all of their credentials, their medical um, degrees, whatever, their nursing degrees, licensing, you know, and so... We would like to make this a successful trip. We would like to have, you know, assistance in perhaps getting a visa waiver, getting, getting customs formed, what, you know, basic stuff we would need on the ground. Nothing. Each time. Oh, you know, we don't have money here. And yet there's money to pay your ass to go for your salaries and for your paddy ass. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is just, we always are thinking of ourselves and not for the greater good of the people. Right. And I left that place like just broken down and beaten up. And, and morally, I, like, I did not want to go back. I said, mm-hmm. why am I doing this to myself over and over and mm-hmm. over? You know what I mean? When nobody is halfway. I mm-hmm. sat there at one of the offices waiting for somebody to help me with a car so that my staff, my team and I, volunteer team and I can go to like Bansan. While I was sitting there, a group of, of Germans came in. They were welcomed into the office, taken upstairs, came back down, allocated four cars. Meanwhile, three hours later, somebody came down and told me, I am sorry, we don't have any cars available. Hmm. What are we doing? Yeah. You all tell me, because I don't know what else. You all tell me about it, because I don't like, what kind? We don't support our own. No. We are more willing but, to, to, to embrace an outsider than help but, our own flourish. And that meant, I mean, there's something, there has, there's, some, there's something that has to be said about that. It's a disease. <laughs> it is. It is. And it we really keep passing is. it from one generation to the next. And, you know, it's so unfortunate because I feel like that was something that 
was you would hear from every diasporan that came mm-hmm. back. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to do my best, but it feels like everyone is fighting against me. Yeah. And it like, I remember the calls, you know, when, while you were there and oh it, it just, I was like, what can I do? Like, how can I help? Even though I was all the way here and you're mm-hmm. thinking, why aren't the Gambians that are on the ground receiving mm-hmm. this, you know, assistance yeah. that you're providing to the vulnerable communities and see what can they do to stand up. But I wanted to highlight though, that you did, it seemed like you did have assistance at least from TAF. Is that correct? I did. And that's what I was going to say along with the bad though, I am still so hopeful. And, and because there are so many Gambians, you know, that are like, you know, there are Gambians that are willing to push through past the obstacle and ride out the storm, you know, in order to like improve our country. And there's a lot of generous citizens who actually would step up and they provided us with all the necessary, um, you know, basic resources that we needed on the ground in order for us to be successful to, in serving the communities. And I have to say that Taf just came through and he has been coming through. And so I have to say that there are other like talk about um, corporate um, responsibility. This man, actually, he's not just he's not just talking the talk, y'all. He actually is walking the walk because for the past few years, when I am so stressed out and, you know, the ball is dropped on the Ministry of Health side where they said, okay, we'll help you with with accommodations and will help you with transportation. And then they drop the ball and they don't do that. I reach out to people like Taf and he just says, you know what, how many people are coming and um, how long are you guys going to be here? We got you. And do you know how much stress that lifts off mm-hmm. of me like when I am like in a last minute, like freak out? Mm-hmm. And I'm so in the past, I've also gotten help from um, uh, global properties. They've also um, accommodated us on one of our trips when we came. So I have to give them a shout out also for helping us. So there are these are people that make me hopeful that there are regular citizens who are willing to say, you know what, this is not who we are. We're supposed this is supposed to be a community effort. When I do my little bit. And I bring the stuff. Somebody needs to meet me halfway and help me with other resources that I don't have available. And then somebody else does something else so that as a community, you know what I mean? Like we can help each other out because I feel like sometimes we lose um, sight, you know, uh, that as, a, as, as members of a society, you know, like we, we, all, we also have to do our part and continue, you know, to contribute for the betterment of our people as opposed to just focusing on what it is our country owes us. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Absolutely. At least logically, that's how I think about it. It's not always, well, what is my country going to do for me this time? Mm-hmm. We also have to turn around and give back mm-hmm. because all of the stuff we have wrong, you know, that needs to be fixed in Gambia, it's not going to be fixed by the government alone. And if we, that's what we're expecting, we're going to have a rude awakening. We all ah. need to roll our sleeves up and, and, and pull ourselves by our bootstraps. That's what it is. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. No. Nuffy, let's be honest. Nobody's expecting the government to riding on a white horse and save us because we've been here for how many years and nothing like that has happened. So it's definitely up to the individuals, the people. It's up to us to make the difference. So I, even though I'm happy that TAF stepped up and I'm happy that you got assistance from global properties, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, the few people that help, it's like mm-hmm. we always expect them to to always come in and Correct. pick up, you know, where the government has failed. And that creates compassion fatigue. Everyone can go to mm-hmm. that. Everyone mm-hmm. can go to global properties. Like exactly. other people also need to step up. And mm-hmm. other people, it's us, us normal, regular, regular humans who can mm-hmm. say, this is what I can do for you to assist in this area. So as much as there was a lot of frustration and you dealt with a lot of challenges, Alhamdulillah, you were able to go give out all that free medication, bring your staff and give all that service that people really, really needed. And we'll get more into some of the services that you were giving. But our Mary, let's get into your woman boss and your project with UNICEF and share with us some of the, the successes and challenges that you face on this trip. 
Um, well, you know, I'm sitting here and obviously Nafi, uh, Dr. Nafi is sharing that and I can so much resonate, right? Because when we first started to go back to the Gambia three years ago and well, three, four years ago and started the project, the Innovate Gambia project to help revitalize, you know, economic development in the country. It's the same challenges till this day that we face. It was so bad. We'll go into ministries, we'll go into different offices. And I think whenever we present ourselves as Gambian, um, you know, Gambian from the diaspora or whatever, obviously, because at that time um, I lived in the United States for 23 years and then my husband was there for 28, never, never went back. So he's more American than anything. And so we decided, obviously, to go back into some of these offices. But the way, you know, yeah, 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 we'll support. You don't hear support. You don't see support. It was so frustrating. I had to go. Let me tell you what I did, right? I had to take my Gambian hat out, which I love. But I had to take it out. And I said, you know what? Screw this. I'm Spanish. And so why not take that, right? So I had to go to the embassy in Spain, the Gambian embassy in Spain, and told them all the challenges that I was facing. And I had to go introduce myself back as a Spanish. And the treatment I got is so different. That opened doors all the way to sitting with the president. Just being a Spaniard, right? It wasn't a Gambian. As a Gambian, I had to sit in as a Spanish. And I just think that it's so unnecessary Mm -hmm. that I have to claim to be somebody else, which I'm not. Like, you know, yes, I'm Spanish because I was born here. But at the same time, I feel more closer to my Gambian heritage because mm-hmm. that's 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 who I was raised around. I love the community, even though I lived in the United States. I was really in tune and um, had great relationships with my Gambian community. And I consider the Gambia home, even though I do not live there right now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, when you said that, it was just sitting here and I was thinking the things that I had to do just to get in certain tables and sit around a table. But I think it's just inferior, inferiority complex or whatever they call it. Right. And I yeah. think it's just, you know, you coming in and you lived in another country and you thinking, oh, so they think we're better than them. And it's not that we just want to come and help. Right. I felt like for us, God has blessed us with so much, mashallah. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we lived, we've seen, we've we we've earned, right? So we're coming mm-hmm. to share the little that God has blessed us with with our home country. And mm-hmm. why not they receiving us um just like other countries are? I always say this, right? I feel like I have to prove myself in the Gambia when in other countries, even especially in the United States, people are begging mm-hmm. for me to be in a platform. And mm-hmm. then I have to be like, okay, let me, like, who are you again? And I'm like, um, it's it's really frustrating, right? Um, yeah. I don't even have to do that where I live currently in Spain, right? Because people are willing to, oh, wow, this is your resume. This is your background for sure. Um, but anyway, so my mission really um going into the Gambia obviously I run a nonprofit, the woman boss I run two nonprofits, the woman boss and innovate Gambia and the woman boss is one of the initiatives under innovate Gambia um, we have a tech hub we build the Gambia's first tech hub and even that let me not start if it's just like we should definitely have a bitching session like <laughs> <laughs> I will give you hours and hours of bitching right but I'll write it on so we built the Gambia First Tech Hub and then, you know, have all these other people now building um, similar, you know, copy and pasters. And then um, we also, you know, with the woman boss, um, you know, we're doing uh, help with within innovation, entrepreneurship and leadership for women and girls. And so this time around, we had two things. We had a cohort four, which our accelerated program for women entrepreneurs that we had um, ongoing. Uh, the training meeting with them, et cetera. That was, that was one of the missions why I was going back. The second is because we're running a program um, in partnership with UNICEF that I mentioned earlier on um, to empower young girls, especially in terms of leadership and gender-based violence. And so in the schools. Um, and then obviously, again, just checking, you know, what's going on in the tech hub. What can we do? What programs can we bring in? Um, we also had another program that we were running under the Innovate Gambia brand called Anando Program with YEP, um, which is the Youth Empowerment Network, um, uh, Youth Empowerment Program, sorry, in the Gambia um, that's uh, with the International Trade 
um, center in in Switzerland that that sponsors that as well. So we're running a program from that for them. It was at thirty entrepreneurs in the creative industry that were graduating because they went through our program for um, nine months, and mm-hmm. so so it was just a lot happening, right? And at the same time, I was welcoming a friend, my girlfriend coming from the U.S., who um, decided to come and visit so she can take a look around, look around Senegal in Gambia because she wants to bring an all-women retreat that we've done a um, couple years ago in Belize. So she wants to do that in 2022, which I'm sure you guys are going to love. Oh. Um, so we're scouting hotels, helping her. You know, this is her first time in the Gambia, actually in West Africa period. So I wanted to show her all the great things that Gambia has to offer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, managing all of that. Let me tell you, uh, the entire time I was in Gambia, my feet was swollen the entire time. I came back home, two days rest and all of it gone. It was just from lack of sleep, um, just running around constantly, um, you know, so much things going on and then the frustrations, right? You're going into certain schools, the schools are not ready, um, you know, and you're looking at time because you have two school schedules that, you know, mm-hmm. that day. So you'll barely have breakfast or you'll barely have lunch, but it's like ongoing, um, you know, the preparation. And then sometimes this, the stories that come from these students, it's so heavy. It's just, you know, it can weigh mm-hmm. you down the entire day, like thinking about your own children, thinking about things that you have going on. And why, why certain, you know, why is it that certain kids are going through so much pain and so much suffering in the Gambia? And then it makes you think about um, just the systems. And I think that's our problem, right? I think our systems are broken and um, we can all sit down and pinpoint leadership so much, but we have to go back to the core. And I solely believe that education is what's going to change the country. But why is it that the West or anybody else coming in is not looking at that specifically? Mm-hmm. Because then again, who wants to take out certain international development organizations out of business? You, edu- mm-hmm. you have to educate us. Right now, what I saw in the Gambia, unfortunately, is that we're not grooming empathetic or compassionate people. Mm-hmm. These students, these young girls, these young men, I just felt like it was a different Gambia from what I grew up in back in the 80s, 90s, right? Mm-hmm. Because at least there, I felt like everybody kind of knew each other. It was a community. Or maybe I was just as naive. I have no idea. But we lived in a bubble. And I feel mm-hmm. like that bubble's busted into so many pieces right now. Mm-hmm. And you can't take one needle and kind of sew it together. It's so difficult because... Everybody wakes up and I say that and my husband thinks it's the biggest joke and he always laughs, but it's Hunger Games. If you watch the movie Hunger Games, every Mm -hmm. day you wake up in the Gambia is Hunger Games. I feel like especially people that live there, forget the people that come semesters and, you know, you want to come on holidays and have a good time. Hell, that's the best time. You come in, you enjoy the hotels, you enjoy the sea, the water everything else enjoy the fresh fruit it's it's paradise don't get me wrong but when you're living there what those people really go through it's everyday hunger games they have to fight to bring in the food on the table Mm -hmm. for majority of people this is their day-to-day and it's exhausting and some of these kids that's their life Right. You have to sell a plate of mint before you can go to school. You have to sell um, what are those things, those fans in the streets for you to have a pair of shoes. Like, And these are children. They are as young as my own children or even younger that's doing that. You have to sell bananas or oranges. This is like the reality of majority of games. And you go into the market, it's a whole nother because I went to the market several times which is very brave of me, but I've done that in Banjo. So you go into the really grassroots level of people and try to understand the way that they're living and you comprehend why certain people are numb. I feel like what we're grooming, back in the day, we had compassion people. We could know what we're grooming right now. People are numb. They're completely numb. Like, what are you talking about? They don't even realize that what you're talking about is another level. Um, and I could feel it everywhere I go. I felt that tension. I felt like people are trying to hustle all the damn time mm-hmm. um, because that's what they got to do. That's what they got to do. So Hunger Games every day. Um, and that's the sad and unfortunate part mm-hmm. for me um, that I could see. I mean, we went through tough times, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I wouldn't change it for a lifetime of me because this is exactly why I feel like my promise, my purpose is because 
every day I would wake up every day and go into these schools or just have my day-to-day interactions, whether it's students, whether it's young women, whether it's just anybody that I meet, I always ask God, why are you showing me this? What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to show me? Because it's so heavy. Things are so heavy and it's just, you know, somebody that's empathetic towards them and shows them compassion. They, they look at you like, what do you want? And it's not that we want anything. It's because mm-hmm. this is how they've groomed us, right? This is how we grew up. Unfortunately, for majority, and I don't want to say for all, for majority of the Gambian, I feel like the empathy is gone. That's yeah. why we're struggling the way we're struggling. And if you go out there right now, even if you were trying to catch a minivan to say, I'm going to Banjo, there might be a woman that's pregnant. There might be a student. There might mm-hmm. be an older person. They don't care. They'll knock everybody out to get into that seat because mm-hmm. it's Hunger Games. I'll stop wow. there. Anna, you're on. Wow. Thank you, Mary, for sharing that. And I I feel like you hit on so many important points that Mm -hmm. we will definitely get a little bit more into so that we can unpack and also deal with the nuances of what it is being a young Gambian in Gambia. Because one thing I did notice also is the hopelessness that was Mm -hmm. there, not only with the young people, guys, but with middle aged people and with older people. I felt like being in Gambia this time around, it was, there was a sadness there. There was, there was this um, um, l- lack of compassion, as you, as you rightfully called it, our Mary. But mm-hmm. also, I, I believe what it is really from people who have, there's also a compassion fatigue. Like the few mm-hmm. that can help are tired because the need is so huge. That mm-hmm. sometimes you just feel like you want to withdraw. You mm-hmm. feel like um, you feel like you, you you're 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 numb emotionally. You feel like you know you've done so much, yet still there's so many more people that need help. There are so mm-hmm. many more people that need assistance. So yeah. it's almost like you want to isolate yourself and just live in your bubble and pretend like the severe poverty that's out there is not real to you because you can't help everybody. So, and this, this, this new administration that we have is doing such a terrible job of making people feel like the Gambia that we live in can move forward, that the Gambia that we live in, there's hope and we can build it to be what we want it to be. you couldn't have given it a better description when you said the hunger games, because when you have to wake up at four in the morning to wall, to pound beans so that you can make akara and sell it at the market so that you can have money for lunch, take some to your grandma or your mom so that she can be able to go to the market to be able to cook lunch and then get dressed, get your siblings, use that same money for transportation to get to school, eat while you're at school and then come back. All this, and we're talking about kids who are 14, 15, 13, all younger than 18. I think it's just unfortunate. Um, on my end, one thing that was a surprise for me while I was there, as you both know, I was there just you know, to spend time with my mom and hopefully get my candles, my stuff candles, so I can launch at Kirgi and have people have the candles ready so they can purchase and use it and give me reviews and let me know how they feel. However, I got um, surprised by the number of people that actually reached out to me to ask about um, my podcast called Lotus Flower Podcast, which is a podcast about sexual um, education and, and empowering the youth with information. Um, I, the Standard Chartered Bank reached out to me. Um, the Gambia University reached out to me. And also there's um, a panel that's supposed to be happening, I believe, organized by TAF. And they've asked me to do a session on sexual um, education. And we all know that one of the biggest things we're dealing with Gambia right now is the number of young people that are sexually active. Um, and the lack of information that's available to them. I mean, let's be honest. Growing up, we all know that there is, especially in this day of everyone having a phone in their hand, there's a lot of unfiltered sexual information that's available to children. And 
this comes with its you know, associated health risk, which means that the parents and the guardians of these children need to be armed with information. And we come from a culture where we're shy to talk about sex. It's a taboo. We also have a religion that says you're supposed to stay a virgin until you get married. So it's a no-go zone for a lot of homes. But at the same time, we can't allow ourselves to not tackle these issues because it's becoming a growing problem. There's a lot of unwanted um, pregnancies. There's mm -hmm. also a lot of um, children that are contracting sexually transmitted diseases. And Dr. Nafi was able to come on my podcast and we address some of these issues of STIs, getting tested before you get married. Also culturally, once you raise your child to be a virgin, when it's time to send them off to get married, making sure that the man that's coming to present himself as the husband is tested and provides his results before taking your daughter. Because sometimes these virgins go into these marriages and then they get infected. So the whole discussion and um, just awareness of se sexually transmitted diseases, of discussing what is out there and why, why aren't we talking about it was something that, you know, it, I wasn't expecting anyone to reach out to me about that. But once they reached out to me, I was like, absolutely, I'll make myself available. We can talk about these issues on these platforms because we need to educate ourselves. We need to make sure that we're, you know, arming the parents because sometimes what it is also is the parents do, don't have the language to communicate to their children about these topics. Mm -hmm. um, there's the culture of being shy, you know, but then if you have someone, a trusted somebody like a bajin or maybe your younger sibling, your younger sister can speak to your daughters and your sons and not just make it about talking to girls, but also engaging boys and making sure mm -hmm. that they're part of, they're part of the discussion. Um, so that was something that was a surprise that came up and I was super excited to take that on. And I'm looking forward to these projects rolling out um, before the end of 2021. Um, but yeah, it looks like we, we, Dr. Nafi has dropped off because I would have loved to hear her, mm. um, hear her thoughts. I'm adding her back on. So hopefully she'll, okay. she'll log in and, and we can keep the conversation going. Mm. But oh, Mary, really just listening to you share about your experience this time around, especially with um, the gender-based violence um, uh, program that you were doing up country. How was it? How were, how were you received by the, the students as well as by the teachers? Like, were they open to it or were they looking at you like, hey, <laughs> so I would say that um, it, first, you know, we did this back in March. We went into the school. So all the schools that we targeted, we mapped out, okay, these are the schools that we want to have our program in. We were very selective and intentional about being selective of those schools um so for each one of them we went I was there in March so I went in March I met with the principals to just say hey or, or assistant principal this is what we're doing in partnership with UNICEF we want to go into the schools and do so on and so and so and we also learned in the process like you mentioned there's no sex um, educational curriculum right now in the schools I think a couple of them do some sort of similar it wasn't so per se um sex education but it's something to do with let's just say some sort of like sexual education, right? Similar. Mm -hmm. And these are more in the um, private schools. It's not obviously in the public schools. Um, so, you know, obviously we're not going to talk about sex education, but some of the things that we're talking, especially when it comes to, you know, um, the hygiene and, you know, FGM and so on, there might be some sort of conversation, especially around sexual violence, things that are happening and so on and so forth that um, will highlight in some sort of way, maybe sex education and a little bit, you know. Um, and then our leadership component. For all the schools that we went through, we visited 19 schools. Um, we have one more because we targeted 20 schools, but um, for all the 19 schools, not one have ever had, you know, leadership training like the way we've done in the school systems. So that was one to expose them in some sort of leadership, what that meant and so on and so forth. So it was very new. Mm -hmm. um, some schools are very receptive, um, you know, received up really well, um, you know, literally um, 
put the red carpet on for us. I would give the shout out to St. Joseph's High School, Nusrat High School, um, uh, Sebek, um, you know, the high school in Sebek. Um, I can't think of, but those are the ones that just really, um, they went over and really and beyond. I mean, all the schools really were very awesome, um, the principals. And I just remember Muslim High School because that principal, I think it was the assistant principal, his conversation with me, it's just one that always gives me chills. He said, you know what? I am very open. I'm open to receiving you with my two arms in your school. And I mean, in our school, because I feel like in Africa, this is a male, older male. In mm-hmm. Africa, the men have failed us. Why not try with the women? So here, have as many girls as you want. And please just teach them anything in leadership. Because if you're grooming the next generation of women leaders, mm-hmm. maybe Africa will stand a chance. I thought how deep that was, right? In conversations with this man, older man, probably about my dad's age, saying these things because he's like, I'm just tired. You know, men have failed us. Let's try the women. But anyway, so all positivity. Students obviously were very, I mean, just engaging. Um, this is this is something they don't have. So to have somebody, you know, like us, the organization, myself, staff. Oh, hey, Nafi, you're back. You know, to have, um, you know, all these um uh, different people, um, young girls really emulate and see that the content that we're sharing, it's so needed, was definitely very encouraging for us. And we don't want to stop there um, into the schools because they definitely are yearning for more information. What else can they do? These girls don't want to go home when we're done. Um, and then, you know, fortunately, we had like chips that we will hand out, you know, little snacks here or there, just those little things that really mattered. Um, we had T-shirts for them, you know, when they participate, we'll give them T-shirts, so the little things. But aside from that, I would say um, the funny, I don't know if it's funny or whatever, but I think a week or a couple weeks into the mission, I got written in some sort of a page on WhatsApp, um, I don't remember the page name, but they wrote me, they wrote me and they said, don't allow these Western, I guess, Western values into your schools or these tubabs in your school to come in and, you know, uh, brainwash these young girls and so on and so forth. And they took a picture of me and I pasted it. And I'm thinking, first of all, I'm not tubab. Second of all, they're talking about Western values. I'm gambling just like you. And then they talked about, you know, Quran, talking about FGM and so on. I'm like, Third, I'm a Muslim woman, and I challenge you to talk anything anywhere else in the Quran that you say that really they did um, say anything about you know uh, uh, performing FGM on women and so on. Um, but obviously, I didn't pay them no mind. So my staff brought that information to me to say, "Hey, did you see this?" And I took a look and I laughed. And they're like, "You're not going to answer." I'm like, "Why should I respond?" It will just literally take my energy to have to respond to all these ignorant people. They're ignorant and arrogant. So why should I respond? Let them believe whatever they believe. I know what I'm doing and why my mission and what I'm supposed to be doing there. And I just focus on that. So it was a huge conversation. Obviously, people that were supporting me, they would call me in the morning. Hey, did you see this? And I'm like, I have no, I'm not paying them no mind because (laughs) they got the wrong information. If they just literally took about five minutes of their time and even Google me, they'll know, oh, this is a Gambian girl, right? But automatically just assume because the color of my skin that I'm this white person that just came in. First of all, I don't even look white, right? But anyway, so those were some of the highlights. I would say it was definitely um, eye-opening, challenging, but at the same time, that experience that I had in the classrooms, um, they just priced us. It's just really um something that i would say uh treasured that i would treasure for the rest of my life and the conversations and even the relationships i've built with some of these girls that came to me opened up to say hey i was molested this thing happened to me to build that relationship with those girls is just something that i did not imagine or expect um so yeah that's 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 my sharing Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for coming back in, Dr. Nafi. Guys, y'all have to just give us a break because we have not done this in a couple of months. So we're a little bit rusty this first time around. I don't know what happened. Dr. Nafi just dropped off in the middle of recording. 
<laughs> you didn't miss much. You honestly you didn't, didn't miss much. I mean, no, it's like maybe maybe all my conversations, but you really didn't miss much. Yeah, so, you didn't miss much. So, um, I I was sharing with with our Mary that um, while I was there, one of the biggest surprises that happened for me was having different organizations or companies reach out to me to do some um, sexual education sessions for either their staff or the student body or being part of. No way. Yes, from my Lotus Flower podcast. And um, I know that I was going to get a lot of pushback because a lot of adults um, are very upset with the fact that I have that platform. You mean that Apoma? Also- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had to throw shade a little bit. You mean the Apoma? Right yes, the Apoma. <laughs> so you, you know, have but- the Apoma and the Tobab woman. Okay, let's go. You see, they just out here just misidentifying us. But For yeah, real. I was happy to know that there are a lot of people listening to the podcast. I mean, which I already know from the numbers because I can see that. But to see mm-hmm. that, you know, people see value in it. And I was just telling our Mary that you came on the podcast, the last episode that we have up where we mm-hmm. were discussing STIs and STDs in Gambia. And I wonder if you have um, anything that you can share from your medical mission that, you know, maybe addressed some of the issues that have to do with the lack of sex education and how it's causing some challenges medically. I don't know if she heard you well. I think she might have connection issues, but what I wanted to share, and then I Mm -hmm. I actually forgot to share that um, Mm -hmm. for me was that when I went into the classroom, one of the, within the curriculum, one of the issues that we talked about was um, FGM, within the gender base was FGM. Mm -hmm. And, in the Gambia, the context in the Gambia context was that 75% of women or girls have gone through FGM, right? Um, the rate. But in the yeah. classrooms, every time we go into the classrooms, whether especially this is urban Gambia, right? So we decided uh-huh. to stay in urban and not go rural because there's a lot of work already being done in rural Gambia. Uh-huh. And so we thought, okay, why not just kind of stick it out um, in urban? And when I went into the classrooms, I was thinking, well, maybe you'll deal with maybe 20 to 30 percent. Some of these girls, the FGM, it's not going to be as such as heavy as the sexual violence that we want to talk about or even um, the child marriage, right, or, or uh, teenage pregnancies, et cetera. And surprisingly enough, whether it's private school or public school, about 80 percent average in every classroom, these girls, when we say how many of you have gone through FGM? It's about 80% in the classroom. This is in urban Gambia. And to go further deeper, when we ask the questions, the type of FGM they've gone through, they cannot answer. It's about really, if I have to gauge it, about 5% will say, yes, I think I've gone through type one, you know, the removal of the clitoris or whatever, or, you know, little slice of it or whatever. Um, but most won't. And when I tell them the homework of going home and taking the mirror and really looking to just know, they all giggled. They said, you can't do that. I said, why not? Isn't that part of you? Isn't that your body part? Isn't that your beautiful flower that God has blessed you with? Right? And so they, they're like, um, I guess, because it's so disconnected. I feel like our private parts in the gamma, your vagina, your penis, whatever, is so disconnected from your body. That you really feel like, oh, this is my body, but then that's just my vagina. I don't need to look at it. I don't need to worry about it. I have no idea. And then you hear all these stories where people actually, you know, there were there were some girls that actually found out then from conversations that they went through FGM. Because we will show them pictures of what a you know normal clitoris will look like when they've gone through the different types. And that's when they'll realize, oh, oh really i guess i did go through it yeah. right so it's just mm-hmm. heavy heavy things right to just know and and it's still being done even though there's policies there's um the law um but again it's not being implemented um because you have the law that's you know i think it's been there for however many years and people are still practicing they'll say oh that's the jamia law but now jam is gone so we can do that and um I've heard like stories because of all this. I've heard stories where, you know, women will go report in the police and the police will say, I am, for example, Mandinka before, um, you know, uh, before police, like this is my culture before that, or I am Sarohule before 
you know, so on and so forth. Uh-huh. And just the stories and miseducation, I think, from, you know, uh, what the public um, will say, you know, in terms of, oh, it might be religion or it's culture or it's this and that. Or the notion, the funniest thing, I thought this was the funniest I got to share is that, oh, um, you know, the students will tell me, but women that are uncircumcised, they smell. I said, what do they smell like? They, they, they stink. <laughs> and I died laughing the first time I heard that I said what they're like yeah if you're uncircumcised you stink I was like really I've never heard of this before it's like I think that has something to do with cleanliness hygiene has nothing to do with being you know circumcised or not and um just the misinformation that's that's out there it's really so heavy um and these young girls obviously you know you believe it and so you have to educate them. And even further now, we're talking like when I go into the classrooms, just to kind of give you, because you were talking about, you know, um, things that you were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're going into girls, like we didn't even prepare for that. So I'm teaching them how to really, you know, clean themselves, how to take care of your flower. So I call mm-hmm. it a flower, refer to, to flower. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, take care of your flower, how to nurture it, how to really, you know, love it because it's yours. Like take care of it and things that you can do as a young girl. Um, to make sure you, you know, you don't have smells or scents or whatever, just definitely taking care of them because they're not having that at home, somebody to teach them, not all of them, some of them do, obviously, but some don't have that kind of relationship with their parents, or I mean, their their mothers, and then others, which is quite a lot, which was very surprising to me, was that a lot of these young girls are um, being raised by like an aunt or a friend or friend of a parent or you know they their parents are up in the rural but they brought them in the urban parts of Gambia for them to grow up so they don't have that relationship and one that I have to my final point is really there's a lot of Cinderella's in the Gambia Cinderella's that's what I call it the Cinderella's there's so many Cinderella's so all these girls that were Seda, right? Isn't that the Uh word in Gambia? That are living with their aunt, cousin, whatever, but they are treated like the maids, the dirt. I mean, these girls, what they go through is so unfair. So unfair. So unfair. You know, it it makes me question, right? A lot of our uh, our people, do they really believe in God? Do they really, really understand? You know, it's hard hard to focus on having a real relationship with God when you're worried about what to eat, when you're worried about basic right. things like food, water, housing, education for your children, healthcare. You know, like we have the privilege to sit and meditate and think about what is our relationship with God and what should that look like mm-hmm. um, different from what we were taught growing up. Mm-hmm. I feel like, like you said, these people, our Mary, are in the hunger games. Mm-hmm. When you're in the hunger games, you don't have time to have empathy and to, to have compassion for others. You're, it's like they're on survival mode. And what I wanted to say is that, that it's very normal, actually, insecurities about general appearance when you were talking about the girls, because it, not only does it affect men, it, women, it also affects men, like mm-hmm. regardless of gender, insecurities mm-hmm. about your genitals is very normal. And just like any other part of your body, our genitals are unique. So mm-hmm. some people might look one way and for other people it looks another way Mm -hmm. but it's another part of our body that we shouldn't feel insecure about or or worry about if it measures up to how other people's look like and that's why I'm getting so much pushback we're trying to build in our Gambian community this this parent-child relationship to create an environment where we could talk and have positive communication regarding sexuality. And it starts with just naming your sexual body parts and Mm -hmm. being okay with that. Mm -hmm. And I know for a fact that we're going to face a lot of challenges and there's some community programs that are available that are providing the platforms to cultivate some initiatives, but our culture and our society is changing so fast that some of the cultural norms are fading away, to be honest. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's prudent that parents, you know, and, and, and caregivers are able to provide the information for the children when right. it comes to sexuality and mm-hmm. have these conversations in the family and raise awareness. And I know that this is a topic that Gambians are not ready to take on. I like, Gambians will fight it because they're like, but at the same time, 
We need it. Definitely. We are a society and we're a society that we have to involve the parents. We have to give these children the freedom to know what's going on with their bodies. And Almer, because you can't even imagine taking a mirror and looking in your vagina is why older, wiser boys and men are able to molest these kids. Then exactly. they're not. Of course. Then yeah. you know but right. definitely this this season we will get into the issues of sexuality in our gambian um culture and mm-hmm. also how it's viewed and what are the changes that are needed because it starts with us nobody else absolutely. is going to come in and save us we have to do the work ourselves absolutely so what do you say absolutely. we wrap up since it looks like our uh dr nafi is just not going to come absolutely. back absolutely definitely <laughs> and i think if anything i'm not sure if we want to do anything in wolof but we can do the mandinka now so maybe we'll skip the wolof this time because <laughs> i was gonna say i'll do the mandinka <laughs> <laughs> we are married by you. Uh, you know but what? You know we what? forgot. But this we season, forgot to let me tell up... you, I've gone season one, season two, but mm-hmm. season three, I'm gonna come with Jala. I'm serious. Like I got. Well, actually, I'm going to do the double because I'm, 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 I'm in love with this fuller thing, right? I'm like, I feel I'm fuller all the way right now because these pictures are so. Um, that I just maybe I'll claim it for a little bit. So. <laughs> okay, so we're going to let you do the fuller moving forward. So this episode, we're not going to do any local languages because we dropped Dr. Nafi and she's unable to join us again. But next episode, we'll definitely do Mandinka from Dr. Nafi. Wolof will be from me. And moving forward, our Mary is going to be doing fuller because we <laughs> wanted to pay homage to the fuller culture because we are the Debos. We we picked a Fulani name to, to represent our podcast. So we right. did a whole photo shoot in our Fulani cultural outfits. We had an amazing time. It was so much fun and we're going to be sharing them throughout the season. But just to wrap up this um, this episode, we wanted to say thank you so much to all our listeners for coming back, for continuing to listen season after season, for supporting us. We appreciate you guys. You guys are the reason why we do this. And this season is going to be epic. Right, our Mary? Absolutely. I mean... So it's it was just so interesting, right? Which I actually forgot to tell you, Anna, when I saw you, is that I'll go to places and they're like, you're the lady from the podcast. And I was thinking, oh, my God. Oh, really? You listen to it? So I was just like, you know, so impressed. So now I feel like, you know, people will reach out to me globally, whether you're Gambian in the diaspora, whether you are a different culture, you just happen to run into the podcast and you like it. Um, you know, people, my friends, obviously, in the United States that are American. So we have lots of, I feel like, um, different listeners, um, diverse opinions and, and so on. But I thought it was very interesting to actually uh, get those type of feedback, especially from the Gambian community. We'll be like, I listened to you on the podcast and I'm, I had to think again. I'm like, what podcast? And then I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I forget because I have so many things going on. I f- actually forget that I, um, that I record a podcast. You know, I'm a co-host. So I thought, yeah, I need to um, really nurture that. But this season is going to definitely be epic. We are coming back because we've listened to um, so many of our great listeners and their opinions and things like that, a feedback. So we're coming up um, definitely to mostly um, on Filter Empower You. So I'm excited. I am too. And guys, it is Virgo season and we got Hell two yes. Virgos on this podcast. So oh, needless yes. to say, we will bring you all the burger energy. <laughs> yes, I'm excited for that because, you know, yeah, we got to we got to bring all of all of that um, it was definitely a great season and um, uh, last couple seasons anyway. And then it was definitely a good trip in the Gambia. I had a great time. And regardless of all the challenges that I faced, uh-huh. um, if not anything, my takeaway really was that I cannot stop. This is, you know, how can I stop with so many people that are still vulnerable, that need our services, that need us. I cannot keep doing it and say, oh, because the government's not helping me, I'm going to stop. I can't do that. I'm not doing it for them. And a lot of people kept saying, how can, how come you're not using lots of media? How come you're not using a lot of media? And I'm like, look, I'm here to do the work. This Uh is not about media. And Uh I don't like the concept of the media where I have to pay you to come in and cover my stories. I want to make sure that you cover because 
you think what we're doing is of value, but I'm not paying or begging anybody to put, put us on media. I know the work that we're doing, and I know a lot of people do appreciate that. We have great partners, and stay tuned. We have a lot of things going to go, great things going to happen with The Woman Boss. So I'm excited. Thank you. And for me, I guess my takeaway would be going to Gambia was supposed to be a fun um, bonding experience for myself and my mom and checking in on my dad and making sure that he was okay and just lounging and being on the beach and just having a fabulous one month away from my husband and my kids, just me, my mom and enjoying myself. And I'm glad that you know, the opportunities presented themselves to promote uh, safe and healthy sexual behaviors in the Gambia. And it's something I'm definitely going to push forward with. And regardless of how many people are going to say, we don't need this, I'm going to keep moving forward with it because we actually do. Mm -hmm. So again, as you said, our Mary, it's us Gambians going back home and doing what we can to help. Nobody else is going to come and save us. And the the attitude changes are going to have to come from us. Dr. Nafi will join us next episode and we'll make sure that all the kinks are worked out as far as connection. But thank you guys for listening. Thank you. Good night.